Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Welcome to The Q Podcast, Conversations in Digital Media, where we discuss current trends, valuable tactics, and strategy in the digital marketing space. I'm your new host, Zach Hornsby, Director of Client Success here at Q1 Media. I want to start things off by spending a, sending a special thank you over to our previous host, James McNeil, who really helped launch this podcast for all of our clients and partners. And this is going to be really the soft relaunch of The Q Podcast for the same clients, partners in, uh, in mind. Our goal with this soft relaunch for the podcast will be to focus primarily on the digital marketing industry, speak with our partners, clients about the important topics in our industry, help provide helpful information for all of you uh, for the potential new marketing campaigns you might be doing, and overall just provide information, helpful discussions for anyone in the digital marketing industry. Uh, with that said, I'd like to enter the, uh, I'd like to introduce my first guest into the queue, Spencer Healy, Senior Manager, Enterprise Programmatic over at Zeta Global. How you doing, Thank Spencer? you so much for having me. Doing well, yeah. man. How are you? Doing great, man. Uh, surviving his, during these crazy times. I mean, hope normally we would have flown you in uh, to do the actual uh, the podcast, but uh, you know, obviously, travel is what it is right now. Hopefully, it, it scales up a little bit more. We can do the next one in person. I uh, would love to get out to Austin. It's been too far too long since I've been out there, but of course, we're we're all having to go through our own pandemic adaptations. I mean, here I am sitting at my dining table, which <laughs> used to be in a different place, and now my gym is right behind me. So <laughs> we've yes. all had to adapt in interesting ways. Actually, yeah, the same thing. Normally, uh, I'd be working in the office, but now you know, people on my Zoom calls, if I even move the camera at all, they'll see dogs behind me in my house, or uh, <laughs> or my wife will come home, and I'm like immediately running this to close the door so she doesn't she's not on a call with her office things like that it's the new normal right yes the the new normal a phrase i think we're all totally tired of hearing <laughs> because we want yeah. our old normal back we want to go out to restaurants we want to travel um but hopefully those those times are right around the corner when you know i know we've got at least a third of the country vaccinated so everybody's uh Everybody's excited to get back to the old ways, if you will. It sounds very Game of Thrones when you say the old ways, but I think we're all very <laughs> much excited for it. No, absolutely. Well, great. Well, uh, kick us off. You know, tell us about yourself. Tell us about Zeta Global, and you know, we'll let you go from there. Uh, most definitely. So, uh, I guess my my path to ad tech was was a little bit different than most. Take, you know, I graduated from UC Santa Barbara in 2009 with the film degree and didn't want to get into film. So wasn't exactly setting myself up for success or shall we say immediate job uh, success, especially in 2009, which was a tough job market. Um, ended up spending two years working in an animal shelter and wasn't sure what to do with myself. Started doing a combination of temp work and going to paralegal school actually. Um, and then after about a year of that and landed in a little company once upon a time called Rocket Fuel and uh, yeah, was just, yeah a temporary office clerk to get started, you know, assisting the, the office manager slash finance slash executive assistant I was literally stocking snacks and refrigerators uh, just to get my foot in the door and eventually turn that into an internship um, and full time in what was then the solutions marketing team. Uh, so pretty much jumped around from everything from the pre-sales side of it, the strategic sales side of it, to sales. So I did a brief stint in sales, account management, and then really self-serve focused account management, which really gives you a pretty deep understanding of the operational look of things. 
So now at Zeta, we're running the um, <clears throat> enterprise partnerships and solutions engineering focus, which again, pretty much covers the entire gambit of uh, what our team needs from assisting in sales strategy and in sales conversations to campaign excellence, execution, optimization, um, and of course the, the back end of the campaign insights and analytics. So you guys really, you guys really do it all. I mean, <laughs> we, we try to, I mean, from, from a Zeta <laughs> stance, you know, the company started as really a data focused company really with the the focus that uh, data is going to be the main thing driving everything forward in ad tech. And that was 2007. Um, the company itself has evolved over the years to really start acquiring significantly large deterministic data sets in the form of eBay Enterprise, Axiom Impact, eventually Place IQ data, uh, direct partnerships with TransUnion. So really the data ecosystem at Zeta just blossomed into this massive MarTech, MarTech stack. Uh, that was actually recently ranked top among Forrester. But in addition to that, you know, there's email marketing, there's the programmatic side of the business, there's social. Um, then there's, of course, when we're trailblazing new partnerships from either a supply side um, or even something else new like Triller, for example. When we started seeing the rise of TikTok, we started pursuing new options. Um, and Triller was one of those those custom partnerships that we, we now launched. So definitely uh, quite a wide array of offerings. That's great. Yeah. I mean, give us a little bit more on that. So, you know, with the TikTok Trilla, explain that to me real quick. I, I, I'm not fully, uh, you know, immersed in that. Yeah. So, I mean, TikTok itself is becoming a, a very, very large advertising uh, avenue yeah. now that's it's really still relatively new. They only launched their their um, advertising stack last year. And of course, during the, the Trump administration, there was a lot of back and forth about whether or not they'd even be allowed in the US. Yeah, um, it eventually did go through and it's still becoming a, a larger branding mechanism for a lot of clients out there to try. Um, and since we weren't sure if it was going to come through, we thought an alternative would make a ton of sense. Now, Triller itself is a very music-focused app, you know, similar to TikTok, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, people dancing, making videos of themselves. Yeah, Triller, or yes, Triller was actually focused really on the live music side of things, really focused on artists engaging with users. So you have a lot of great music and, and entertainment-focused okay. content on that. So it became kind of an interesting alternative to, to TikTok. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I was just curious about that because I know that you know we work a lot with TikTok on our own uh, with you guys and also other partners, and uh, we hadn't necessarily gotten that far. But you know, we can talk about that another day. But I definitely wanted to kind of start with uh, what we've discussed a lot on our calls in the past we've had, and that's really the evolution of the industry from like a DR performance to to branding. And I, you know, I'll, I'll let you go with that. And kind of since you've been with the industry for so long, I think you've kind of seen the industry and the like the it, the changes that have come with it and you know really where it's kind of woven itself through different places mm -hmm. so when i got started we were really really i think getting towards the tail end of what we'll call black box marketing um you know rocket fuels performance engine which <laughs> zeta now actually owns the the legacy rocket fuel seismic dsp um, so things have come full circle in that regard. But uh, back in 2012, it was the top performing DSP out there. You know, definitely nobody had better AI and performance-based algorithms that could be touched. Um, <clears throat> so Rocket Fuel really rose to, to prevalence and, and dominance for some time. Um, and for a good while, that was really the, the pace of the industry was going. Um, and then there was a lot of other conversations around our is the industry going to stay with a managed service approach? Or are they going to bring 
all of the programmatic teams in-house, you know, what's going to happen traditional media, what's going to happen to linear TV, all those different conversations. At the time in 2012, the main focus was, listen, everything needs to be ROI, action-based, it needs to be measurable. Uh, CMOs are going to want to get smarter, they're going to want to deep insights and analytics, but all of it has to tie back to measurable business metrics. Um, the time, ROI, ROAS, those were really going to be the main things. So that was the case really, I want to say through 2015, 2016 timeframe. And then about 2016, I feel like there was a, a, a big shift in the industry where DR had kind of lost some of its lore at that point. You know, there have been a number of IPOs of these companies that had uh, really main DR businesses. Uh, once people found out some of the margins that were being made in some of those situations. Uh, if you're a public company, you have to disclose those elements, you're going to get some backlash if you're clearing 90% margin. <laughs> so um, really at that point, people started to want to understand where's, where's my actual media going? It's not just ROI, it's how much of my spend is actually going uh, really into my media investment as opposed to the DSP's pocket. Um, so things really started to shift away from the era of black box marketing, people wanting transparency um, and really more branding and video actually maturing to a great degree during that time frame. YouTube just rising to pure dominance, uh, yeah. Facebook itself shifting towards in-feed video. Um, and then, of course, later on, we get TikTok years later uh, and Snapchat, really all of these different things had been shifted towards a video focused medium. Smartphones themselves really were driving that up because it's just far more engaging for a user to watch a video as opposed to seeing a display ad that they may or may not click on. And of course, if they do click on it on a smartphone, usually most of us will attribute that to potentially fat fingers. So you always have to ask some questions about CTR yeah. when you're on your mobile apps. So really as more CMOs started seeing that the focus of video, the ability of video to really generate significant brand awareness, people started really focusing on their, their pre-roll, their mid-roll, their post-roll yeah. uh, types of campaigns. So as those continue to evolve, and of course the smart TV industry eventually got in the game, um, you started seeing cord cutting really begin to accelerate. And that was going to be the eventual shift from really just doing your standard pre-roll ads, your YouTube ads, your video ads on, on Facebook, um, to eventually seeing a lot more of those ads on connected TV apps. So that's as soon as we started getting the more device technology, the app developers, the main drivers, you got your Hulus, you got your Netflixes of the world, and of course, you Pluto TVs, Fubo, mm -hmm. all of these things eventually creating these new app environments um, that we could actually reach people in real time programmatically at a far more efficient rate than you would on linear TV. So uh, fast forward a couple of years, uh, companies like Tremor had really expanded. You know, they, they definitely had significant impact on the overall pre-roll industry and were just really controlling significant budgets to that regard. So it began to really prove to the industry that we need to have good, uh, good platforms that can find the right inventory to drive high VCR rates that can make sure we're driving against engaging content. So they really began a shift away from DR performance, which is really individually focused, and then really diving into those branding mechanisms because of the larger engagement environments. So it's just an easier transition from linear TV to CTV. No, oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's what you said was, you know, there is with display ads necessarily, there is the idea of ad blindness and things like that and video being a lot more uh, a lot more engaging. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, the, you know, really more four or five years ago, the launch of like a V-paid ad 
that had never been heard of where you'd actually interact with an ad if you know if an advertiser ran an ad where you would say do you like the color red or do you like the color blue you could actually physically on youtube or any pre-rolled any video type player on the site you could actually click on that and that would take you down another rabbit hole that would you know kind of be more specific for you so you're right i mean i think that video started to really overtake what was kind of more known as a display landscape you know programmatically and, and also you know direct sold deals as well um you know, and you know, I think that that transition has been quite large. And then we, you know, and then all of a sudden, like you mentioned cord cutting, and now that's just, it's hyper growth all of a sudden, whenever we thought it was going to be a lot slower than that. And you can, and I'd love to hear your take kind of like pre-pandemic, middle pandemic, and in, and in, the, in the future of, of CTOTT as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think that'd be really beneficial for us to understand. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's <laughs> pre-pandemic, you were already seeing pretty significant increases in overall cord cutting. Um, the very nature of the content you can consume on CTV becomes entirely bespoke to you. You know, if you're on Hulu, you're selecting the type of content you want to be against. Whereas in traditional linear, you're dealing with somebody else's schedule. You know, you're trying to fit in your your TV viewing hours during the times of the, the prime time eras where <clears throat> excuse me, on network TV, where you've got whatever your favorite show is, and that's how you're getting your, your upfront buys and all of that. So the really, the experience got extremely consumer focused, whereas <clears throat> I would say that previously the linear TV experience is more so business focused for, you know, your linear TV provider. Um, so with that, of course, individuals love to make sure we're tailoring things exactly the way we want it. You know, if I, you know, somebody doesn't speak a certain language, you just want to see the, the type of content that's in your language, you know? So stuff like that is going to be important to whatever your settings are and not necessarily a more, uh, much larger expansive approach you're going to get with linear TV. So those yeah. were all reasons why the cord cutting had been increasing to a solid degree pre-pandemic. And then of course the pandemic hit and I think everybody was doing a number of assessments on, on a couple of things. Uh, plus, most people who, if anybody got laid off, you suddenly had significant income yeah. coming in. You know, Absolutely. I had friends who were, you know, they work in the service industry and they were like, I'm making more money during the pandemic because of all the unemployment benefits than I was, you know, working in my server job. So yeah. people had influxes of cash, connected TVs are cheap. And moreover, you can sign up for Hulu and Netflix and you're paying $25, $30 a yeah. month, depending upon your package. Whereas a, a standard linear TV package is $50, $60 a month. And you don't have total control over your content. I mean, I think so it's even more now. Stuff. Yeah, I think it's even more now. I mean, I know I have friends that, you know, we still actually, you know, use AT&T Uverse and we're paying close to, when you bundle in your internet with it, you're paying anywhere between 200 to $230, $240. But then you have the other family different from us that probably has access through like a Hulu TV to the same exact content, but they're paying 70. So especially in a pandemic, like you said, you know, you're cutting $200 off your actual TV bill by going over to the CTV realm and focusing on just specific applications that you want instead of having to pay that big bill from like a, a Spectrum or AT&T. Yeah. And then your consumption rates go up dramatically because you're home all the time. So, you know, there's yeah. times when you just want to go and watch your show. Um, and there's even times when, you know, sometimes you want to binge a show, but because you've got Netflix 
which you can binge just about everything. <laughs> so it makes it a lot easier to just increase overall time spent on any of these connected TV apps between, yeah, you know, you've yeah. got just economic factors, you've got insight factors. And then of course you just went, I, I want to view only my content. So I think, you know, a big shift if you're at home all the time and you don't necessarily want to deal with a ton of the commercials that you would get on yeah, linear yeah. TV um, and only maybe two or three shows you actually want to watch. Now you have everything at your fingertips and you control the entire time that you want to watch it. So um, all those factors really increase CTV uh, or time spent on CTV amongst the wider demographics across the world. So it's, it's definitely accelerated the big shift away from standard upfront buys, which don't get me wrong, are still definitely a big thing. Um, but overall connected TV buying, I think is, is set to expand if it hasn't already. I didn't check my latest demarketer stats, uh, <laughs> but uh, definitely going to be expanding if not already well beyond linear TV. Well, and I think there's the value of CTV OTT really over linear TV is something that I even noticed last night. My wife and I had been watching a series on AMC called What We Do in the Shadows based off a film that was made. And it's it's very, it's a funny, very engaging series. Well, if we were watching that, most of our linear TV watching habits is usually through DVR. So if we were DVRing that show, we always will just normally fast forward through the commercials. You're loot, you know, that's ad dollars being spent that are being completely skipped via DVR systems in like, you know, in linear TV. But by watching that show on AMC or through Hulu, actually, we actually, you were there during commercial breaks watching anywhere between 30 seconds to, to two to three minutes of advertising. You're looking at almost, a, you're looking at 100% completion rate because you're there watching the show that you want to watch. You, viewers like myself and others are going to sit through those commercials. They're going to engage with it much more than linear. And actually, you're going to see a lot more ROI on that, your spin when it comes to like connected TV. Oh, most definitely. And like Hulu, for example, has even gone a step further and they ask what type of ad environments do you want to see? So it's almost a choose your own adventure about what type of advertising yeah. you're getting on CTV. And on top of that, it's just a lot more addressable, you know, to, to your main point, you know, if somebody has two or three minutes, it's not even that, I think it's usually two or three commercials and they're 15 to 30 seconds a piece, you know, you're, you're not going to be running away from the actual program I and mean, you're going to stay engaged with the yeah. content a lot more. Uh, and realistically, since you can measure all of these things, like in some cases, and I'll, I'll tell one example that we're doing uh, for, for one of our clients here at Zeta is we're now able to take pixel data, apply all of our standard pixels to your website, and then map that back to CTV ad exposures. Wow. So wow. when wow. you're actually able to sit there and go, hey, we showed this ad and within your standard view through attribution window, we're able to actually see that we did a tangible conversion with this connected TV environment. It's definitely a lot more valuable when compared to, shall we say, the standard TRPs and GRPs uh, that you would get with linear TV. You know, who am I reading? Like how many gross rating points or yeah. target rating points are we really getting into? Um, whereas, no, we know for a fact that this user actually saw this ad and then went and got this conversion fire. So it does That's become true. far more measurable and addressable. And then of course, with the, the emergence of ACR or automated content recognition, you know, you're able to really dial in the type of contents you advertise against. And of course, understand your measurements against specific individuals. So you're so if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, if I'm watching my favorite program on like Hulu or a Roku device, 
and I see an ad for, let's say, a Ford Bronco that my wife is very interested in. You're saying that if we see that ad in our household of a Ford Bronco, and my wife then goes to Ford.com or whoever of your local Ford dealer is that potentially is advertising, and you go look at said Bronco and potentially purchase, you now can, can you can actually show that conversion that that ad drove that household or that individual in the household to their landing page to show the conversion that they actually are now shopping for that said vehicle. Well, I think you, you went a little bit step further, almost in the form of location mapping. So, I mean, if, if you want to see that somebody went to a website, like, yes, if you saw a CTV ad, went to a website, we got that pixel fire, yes, we can 100% track that. If you're talking about going into a dealership, well, then we can do that too, because we've got the wow. location-based data. Uh, so if you actually want to understand either driving into a website, driving into an in-person location. Um, you know, we'll set our typical attribution windows of 30 days or really whatever the desired client timeframe is. Uh, but yes, we, we can map all of those different conversion actions back to uh, a CTV exposure. Wow, that's, that's so powerful for the advertiser knowing that, hey, I, you know, 78% of the nation now, I think they're saying in, you know, in, in the US in 2021, it has some type of CTV device or watching pattern. That's 78%. That just shows how many people have cut the cord. But now you're saying that, hey, we can actually take a viewer of that of our advertising on a CTV device and actually be able to see a conversion and see that user go from watching that ad during their favorite TV program and then actually go engage with their site and potentially purchase products or go in and, and, and go see a vehicle that they actually want to see. 100%. I mean, this is really the, the crux of cross-device optimization and the evolution of cross-device optimization. Um, you know, when, when you're able to understand the full, uh, the IPs that are coming to you in the bid stream um, and you have what uh, one of the biggest attributes that Zeta has that's super beneficial to our advertisers is we have this largest deterministic data set outside of the walled garden. So Google, Facebook, yeah. Amazon, those are going to be the ones that are bigger than us, but that's a walled garden environment, meaning you can't export your the data out of it. At Zeta, you don't have those limitations. Um, you know, if you're going to go and you're going to run a campaign, you can still run on, on Facebook, you can actually take our data, um, we'll manage a campaign for you, and we take that data set, target uh, on Facebook, you want that data to be custom, whether it's a CRM data set, or if it's something we've looked like modeled for you, we can build that within our proprietary data cloud, and of course, syndicate that straight to Facebook. Um, so all these different pieces of the puzzle from understanding the IP to tracking user agent data, which are all standard bitstream elements that just about every DSP stores, um, and then having these deterministic identifiers in the form of email that people just don't delete. People keep emails seemingly forever. Um, and if at any point that login, that email accesses an IP and you have a data cloud that can store that data, you can still track specific I don't like to call it user data because this is really specific to device activity. And especially with uh, what I'm sure we're about to get into in terms of a future cookie-less world, it's really important to be able to track and store all these elements so that you have some type of unified ID uh, to really optimize against. And that's imperative for direct response campaigns. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and you know, and to go back real quick, it's just like that's great for us knowing that, okay, you know, we're very strong in the SMB business and we can go to a local smaller dealership or a local smaller uh, you know, you know, restaurant and we're able to take their advertising, 
partner with you that we partner have been partnered with for years and be able to run that and be able with CTV, be able to track those conversions and show them the power of, of CTV and OTT. And I actually want to jump into something and I always ask people to finish it because we are definitely an industry of abbreviations and everything is, can you give me your definition of what's of CTV versus OTT? So I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you because there, you know, some people have it one way, some people have the other, but a lot of the times what's great talking to people like yourself that have been in this industry for so long, especially from the birth of CTV and OTT is you have a much stronger understanding than a lot of people do. So I'd love to hear your kind of comparison and the easiest way for advertisers and people in the industry to know the difference. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it comes straight down to let's define CTV versus OTT. CTV, which stands for connected television, OTT stands for over the top. So uh, any over the top box is going to be when you sign up for a cable provider, you plug in this box that they give you into your TV, that's an OTT ad. We're able to actually access those devices programmatically and bid upon different pieces of inventory. So that's your OTT. Some people will definitely lump pre-roll into OTT. So that's one of those conversations where if you're talking to a potential client, you do want to make sure you're understanding exactly what devices they want to run on. Because at the end of the day, this is purely a device definition. So a connected TV is going to be your purely smart television. So anything that is directly connected to the internet, if you're accessing Hulu or Netflix via an app that's already built into that television's hard drive, that's a connected TV device. So that's like the quick delineation from there. Gotcha. Okay. I, I love that question because, you know, everybody has a similar answer, but a different definition. But at the end of the day, everybody kind of comes down to the last, the, the last summary, which is exactly what you said. So, you know, the difference, um, I actually want to jump back right before we, I know we're going to go into the cookie list world that we just, you know, we talked about uh, a second ago, but I, I want to see kind of, where do you see CTV going as we kind of get out of this, like pandemic land and, I mean, obviously the growth is going to continue. I think I read an article where they're saying that CTV dollars could be anywhere between eight to 10 billion in 2021. But I love to see, you know, where you think CTV OTT is going compared to linear TV, especially after as the pandemic hopefully starts to continue to, to be a little bit more under control. I know that this could potentially be something that we deal with for years to come, but I think it's be interesting to kind of hear where you think you know, TV dollars are going when it comes to, you know, CTV OTT. It's only going to continue to increase dramatically. Uh, the, the big thing that's probably, that would probably prevent most people from shifting to CTV is does my old TV still work? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, we're, I think we're, we're really, it's almost a generational question to some degree. Um, you know, for, for most folks that are either just starting out of their own, the only thing you think to buy is a smart TV. That's all they make now. Um, so, you know, or you don't necessarily care about network TV. There's really a lot of, shall we say, not so positive reaction to media these days. So, you know, it's one of those things where people might not necessarily want to consume their standard news channels and older generations are just used to it. So they don't change anything. So you've got the, the generational X factor there of younger people are just going to buy smart TVs. They're probably only going to sign up for Hulu or Netflix, and that's still going to be cheaper for, you could throw in Disney plus, you can throw in Apple TV plus, um, all those, all those elements are still going to be cheaper than your traditional buy on for linear TV. So that's going to be a thing that continues to accelerate away from, uh, this, shall we say the OTT model. 
Moreover, I would imagine that any uh, provider, you know, your your uh, Spectrums of the world, your your Xfinities of the world, all those different channels, whoever your provider is, should be working towards. We need to have our own connected TV app. Um, you know, I, like I can access the the Spectrum app right on my phone um, and Chromecast anything to my connected TV. So I would imagine if they don't already, they will be having their own apps where all of the same functionality that you find in your OTT device is just going to be built natively into the app. Um, so I would imagine that's the future of linear is just going to decline. Uh, it might take quite a few decades at this point, um, really just for generational divides to kind of you know, emerge to such a degree that, uh, you know, there's just not going to be linear TV buying anymore. Um, at the end of the day, programmatic is just efficient. It's more addressable um, yeah. and it's going to be more scalable as more smart TVs continue to dominate the market. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I wonder if, some of these uh, ad-free platforms, like you mentioned, the Disney Plus or you know Netflix, eventually, as we get a little bit further along, do they start allowing a uh, a free version, but with advertising, because that could just be more dollars for you know in the in the, in the Disney uh, pocket. Same with Netflix, that's something to think about because it is definitely a subscription-based model. But there might be they might see that there are other other platforms on Roku and things like that are are, are making advertising dollars, and that could be a big opportunity for them. I'll be interested to see if that ever happens. That's that's an interesting debate because I mean that's that's one that's hotly debated amongst I'm pretty sure every single one of these platforms you know from I know there was consideration around Netflix having their own free version but advertising built into it They're, those conversations have been happening for some time now yeah but uh, obviously nothing like that has happened on Netflix Hulu yeah. which I think mostly started out is that free model with the the commercials built in of course has their premium version, but they also have their live TV now. Yeah. So there's every single one of these businesses going to kind of adapt. And um, it, it's hard to say what's going to happen with Hulu, which is technically under the Disney umbrella anyway. <laughs> um, I think much of that will depend <clears throat> upon the way the, the pandemic continues to evolve. If we're truly at the end of it, I don't, I think Disney will go back to seeing a lot more revenues come from its parks. It's yep. incredibly diversified revenue stream. So I don't know that something like Disney plus would go out and change all of that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think Netflix as a differentiator should continue to hold its ground um, as an epic content provider and really a premium streamer. Um, and similar, similar with uh, Amazon Prime, you know, they've, they've got their free versions, you've got your paid options. So um, I would imagine they actually do come up with really a, an advertising focused sort of streaming service at some point in the future, because that to me really fits their business model. So it just sort of depends what uh, each yeah. company would want to pursue in their evolution. Absolutely, and I think Netflix will, will more go the route of like what they're doing currently, trying to stop the, the password sharing and things like that to mm -hmm. you know make up the revenue they might be losing there than actually force advertising potentially in a in a, an advertising free platform that's free to users on Netflix. I think that that'd be the path they probably take, which it seems like is what they're doing right now. All right, I loved I, I want to jump into the cookie list future and really honestly, a lot of our partners or a lot of people in the industry don't may not know exactly what's uh what, what cookie list means or what a cookie is and the change that's coming from the Google and Apples of the world. So I'd love to jump into that. I think it's an extremely important topic, especially in the, our industry right now, because it's coming. And for our advertisers to understand it a little bit more, so there's not as much panic uh, when it comes to the idea of like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose targeting options. Okay, you necessarily aren't gonna lose 
what you think you're going to lose. So I'd love to kind of understand what a cookie-less future looks like, what it is, what a cookie is, and kind of let you go, go with it on that. This concludes part one of our two-part podcast with Spencer Healy over at Zeta Global. Be sure to tune in to part two where we discuss cookies, the changes that are coming in 2022 with Google, and other topics around that. My name is Zach Hornsey, Director of Client Success here at QI Media. Look forward to seeing you on part two. Thank you.